Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where our affections and wishes are unchanged, but one word from you on the subject will silence us forever. <laughs> My name is Caroline, and what are men to rocks and mountains? Joining me is a girl who likes to be crossed in love now and then, Carrie Ad Lloyd. Hello. What a huge amount of garbage I just spoke. <laughs> you must allow me to tell you how ardently I enjoyed that introduction. Is it just going to be what, what, what a well situated <laughs> cupboard this is. <laughs> Indeed it is, madam. I am enjoying it most thoroughly. It is pleasant and kind, and this orange, although not as fashionable as last year, it has provided quite the seat for me. Indeed. Don't let me start talking Austin, because I won't stop. Because you, in many ways you've been training your whole life for this. I've been training my whole life for this because of what we're going to talk about. Yes, which is the 1995 version of Pride and Prejudice. <sighs> what, what, what many people will call the original, the true, the, the true. only. There are so many people who won't even observe the 2005 version with Kieran Knightley, which I just spoke yep. with Imogen West Knights about yesterday. <sighs> yeah. There's so much to say. I would like to just, in case we have an older listener, mm-hmm. say that there is a version of Pride and Prejudice pre-1995. Oh, yes. The 70s version, I think. Yeah. And to be honest, however, oh, when you're, whatever version is out when you're 14, 15 is your seminal version. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's what happened to me, 1995 PMP, or maybe I was a bit younger. But when I we speak to older women, they're like, oh, Colin Firth, yeah, sure. But... <gasps> Oh, and I should have Googled his name, the 70s one, because I can't remember him. And they talk about him like that we talk about Colin first. Yeah. And so that made me realise, oh, it's just whenever your hormones kick in and you discover Mr. Darcy. Yes. But I, there is a big generation of us that believe 1995 PMP is the seminal, the seminal canon. I would, I, I would say if, if there is like a pie chart of Pride and Prejudice and Austin fans, the, the, the largest part of the pie is built up of the 1995 heads. Yes. Although I do think, is that because we're all on the internet as elderly millennials? Like, do you <laughs> well, know what like, I mean? I was um, watching lots of sort of behind the scenes featurettes on YouTube yesterday that have oh, all been like God. diligently uploaded from the double VHS special. Oh God, that is my dream. That is my <laughs> so dream. So nice. Just making oh, dinner with it. the laptop propped on top of the toaster. Oh, um, that is my dream. But, there are, and, but there all are the, the comments versions. are just like, I uh, this is amazing and blah, 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 Mr. Darcy and Colin Firth is the only one and it's so passionate there's so many comments yeah. it's like something on like the Daily Mail how passionate people are and then like there's just one little voice of being like I'm a woman in my 60s and I always enjoyed the 1970s version yeah. and just crickets yeah crickets <laughs> there's a film as well uh, 40s film oh god I've literally it's all gone out of my brain and I've got no signal to Google these things um, and obviously you have to be really elderly to be like standing up on the internet for that one. Being like, and someone really famous plays Mr. Um, Darcy in that one. And so, yeah, I do think, you know, in terms of television history, like that 1970s version, obviously quite a few people watched it, but obviously quite mm. a few people didn't. Whereas when you get to 1995, you know, television's more accessible, more people have televisions. It's more likely that you're going to sit down with your family and watch it. So obviously a larger population watched that version. Mm-hmm. But I do... And I think when you compare it to, is it the 2005? Is that, yes. I, I don't even remember the year. Um, <laughs> it's a cinema version. It's truncated. Mm-hmm. You know, you're getting what, nearly two hours of Darcy. We got six hours of Colin yeah. to love and understand him. And that's so much closer to the book. Um, although that's a controversial statement, obviously. Um, 
So I think there's reasons why people hold it as seminal to like, you know, literal physical reasons, like more people watching telly, like it's mm. longer. But all that aside, I still think it's the best version that's ever existed of an Austin adaptation ever. Of any Austin adaptation, including uh, Sense yeah. and Sensibility and Emma oh, and everything. Yeah. Sense and Sensibility, the Ang Lee one, is incredible and is beautiful. But again, it's a film and it's, yeah. it's you don't have enough time. I think in terms of this is controversial but in terms of romance of seeing Lizzie and Darcy get together over six hours mm. like that's magic and sensibility yeah. you're, you know obviously Emma obviously she's amazing but it's a much it's a it's a very different it's very different yes it's a very different ball game <laughs> it is no to- yeah c- completely but like um, we'll, we'll get into sort of like different differences in why we think this thrives in a minute but I'd like to know like where where you were in your life when this hit you into the book come first oh, and like just take me through the emotional journey of a young Carrie Ed Lloyd like <laughs> it's so re-watching it for this it's so seminal and important to me that as soon as that like my heart lifts I feel happy I feel better mm. and um I'm in a show called Ostentatious, Mm -hmm. which we do Improvise Jane Austen. We've been doing it for 13 years and we have a WhatsApp group with the girls. um, It's it's you, it's uh, Rachel Paris. So myself, Rachel Paris, Amy Cook Hodgson, Charlotte Gittins and Lauren Shearing, Mm -hmm. um, who are the best, some of the best incredible female improvisers we have in this country. I'm so, so lucky to work with them. And I voice noted, and literally I got five voice notes back immediately, four voice notes, filling in the piano tune. That is how much this means means to me because it's why we all do ostentatious. But to cut back, I'm probably, maybe maybe I'm about 11 or 12 and my family are big um, sitting down on a Sunday watching stuff. Mm. So we watched like The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe Mm. when they did that on the BBC. Um, The Borrowers one they did and it was like we'd have... (laughs) My mum's actually working class, right? I always caveat, I'll caveat that before you think I'm a dreadful, hideous middle class person. Um, but tea and crumpets, crumpets and jam, yeah. and Sunday night telly. And it was like. I tea and crumpets are supposed to be so luxurious. You can get them a Warburton's pack of 12 <laughs> for three pounds. <laughs> Which is why my mum, working yeah. class woman, was like, oh, a nice, bit, a nice crumpet on a Sunday. We're being, we're being posh. Mm. Um, and it was the only telly that we would all sit down together. My dad would never watch telly with us, ever, mm. ever, ever. Like, he worked from home. He was, like, you know, self-employed, very busy, very stressed. Very Mr. Bennett energy. Very Mr. Working Bennett energy. Working from home and won't watch TV with you. <laughs> oh, come, come, this silly world you're watching. Um, and I just remember we sat down to watch it as we did, you know, all of these things and me being, like, knew nothing about Jane Austen, nothing about Pride and Prejudice and just instantly was like... Like, I've never felt so strong. Like, I want to be there. I want yeah. to be in that television. Like, how do I get And also, in there? it's unfair and cruel that I'm not in there. It's cruel that I'm not in there. <laughs> I, 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 I can't, like, I am one of the Bennett. I, I understood them so heartily. And I think it was the Darcy stuff. Like, I definitely, I liked him. You know, it was very too young to be mm. like, oh, yeah, he's a bit, but I was like, oh, I, what's happening? <laughs> like he's what? he's handsome oh. and rude. What's that? Like how does that work? It was very confusing. And I used to, which again makes me sound like such a twat. I uh, I didn't know I was improvising, but if I liked a program, I would mm. then go off to my room by myself and pretend to be in it by myself for yeah, hours. Of course. So I would finish watching Pride and Prejudice and then I would take the tea out to the kitchen and pretend to be Elizabeth Bennett and talk to myself and then go upstairs and 
recreate, reenact, just be basically do ostentatious because yeah. that's all ostentatious is. Oh. Is we sort of joke. It's like we do a play about like the neighbours of Lizzie and Darcy. It's like mm-hmm. who else is in this world? Mm. We get a title from the audience and we just make up a Jane Austen style play. But basically, it's it's in that world. And that's what I would do. So it was like so formative for me because the first time I saw something that I thought, oh, I want to be in that. And I could and I could be in it. Yeah. I could You're do living that. your like 12 year old dream every, yeah. every day. Every Monday night <laughs> every... at the Arts Theatre West End. Yes. Yeah. Like that's. And what's funny is that's happened. So the original group who set up Ostentatious, myself, Rachel and Amy, had the same experience. So they watched that show, mm-hmm. fell in love with it. Then all of us went to do improv, became very successful at doing improv. And then Rachel and Amy were like, huh, wouldn't it be fun if we did Jane Austen improv? Because that's like our favourite show. And they said to me, do you want to do it? And I was like, (laughs) yes, like, oh, my God, that's my dream. And there were six of us, um, Graham Dixon, Andrew Hunter-Murray and Joseph Morpurgo were the original six. And then Charlotte joined, Daniel Roberts and Lauren Shearing joined. (laughs) Make sure I mention everybody. Um, really afraid I'd miss someone now um and then we started improvising basically Mm. as if we were in 1995 PMP but just different people different characters but the first few years of the show I basically was Mrs Bennett like that was you were Mrs Bennett oh yeah because she's funny she's the best character yeah by then I'd realized she was the better character yeah he was a bit you know in terms of if you're like a comedic actor and you want real places to go absolutely and also like even yesterday when we were having this conversation about the 2005 version like Alison Steadman like whatever about like oh Matthew McFadden versus Colin Firth or whatever it's like no it's Alison Steadman is the the kind of like the MVP of every version she is if there's like a, a pyramid of performances, yeah. like she's at the very top. It's perfect. You can't. I don't think you can better it. Yeah. And so anyone who has to be Mrs. Bennett after her is always going to be sort of. It's like asking someone to be Bridget Jones. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. someone's done it and and really solidified it and gone. That that is the number one. Yeah. I did a job with Alison Sedman, <gasps> Clang, and um, <laughs> everybody was trying to talk to her about really cool things you know her yeah. work with Mike Lee and all the various amazing things she's done and I sidled up to her and I was like I just want to say I think you're the greatest Mrs Bennett I've ever seen <laughs> she was like oh oh I'm quite aware oh, and she was like oh yes because no, she was like oh like as if people don't ask her about it what and she was like oh yes oh I did enjoy it. that was such a fun one to do and I was like I do a show called Ostentatious it's entirely based on your performance and we love you so much and she was like oh and I should confess I have met quite a few of the members of the cast of oh, 1925 wow. PM. Yeah. Like I made it my mission of in course. most jobs. So how tell me who who you've ticked off. Uh, who we ticked off. So we did a show in Bath, uh, Ostentatious at the Jane Austen Festival. Mm-hmm. And they were having I think it was the two hundredth anniversary of Pride and Prejudice and they were having a live reading. They were reading the whole book. And part of the section was read by Crispin Bonham Carter. <gasps> Mr. Bingley was reading some of some of it. We lost our shit. We were like in the library, absolutely. And they asked a couple of us to read. I didn't do it. I think Rachel did it. And maybe Amy did it. And um, we managed to get a picture of Rachel next to him. And she was in costume. So she looked like she was marrying Mr. Bingley. Oh, my God. And Rachel is, uh, in our mind, is, is our Jane Bennett. She's well, of course, blonde, she the beautiful blonde hair. Beautiful blonde hair. Yeah. And uh, I took this picture of her and... Uh, then we were later on we were like you know back to do our show and we were looking at it and I was like I've never seen you look this happy in a picture <laughs> like she looks genuinely like not not like I'm meeting my hero like 
like I'm in the right my, place. My soul is one at last. Yeah, finally, yeah. finally. Like they look <laughs> genuinely like they're getting married. Yes, yeah, so that was a big day, Crispin Bottom Carter. And I did a job with Adrian Lucas, Mr. Wickham. Oh which, my God. Yeah, me and Joe did that job. Also, not and, and as you um, tick through this list of... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Now you know how fucking geeky I am about this show. Are you getting any cooler at talking to them or is it absolute? Do you become 12 every time? There's no cool about this, right? I've accepted long ago that I'm not remotely cool. Like, as soon as you do a show like Ostentatious, Mm -hmm. you're aware. You're You're outing yourself as a fucking loser. Oh, total loser. (laughs) We once did, um, we did a, uh, like a, we'd done lots of stately home gigs, obviously, because of of the way we look. And there was one gig we were doing, they had, um, people were like, we creating you know when they dress up in costume, yeah. but they're just recreating it. They're not yes, like Civil War it. reenactors or whatever. Yeah, <coughs> and they were doing like a World War One recreation at the same time as we were there. So it was do odd. we have that in this country? I thought that was such an American thing. No, they do wow. it here. Yeah, wow. and they had all these guys in World War One outfits, and they were camping, but like they were camping in world genuine World War One tents, mm. and they had the same provisions. And we were watching them, and we were like, "This is mad!" Because like, yeah. there's this like <laughs> massive cafe here with great cake and tea, and they were all mm. like in these horrible like cotton tents basically like right. really freezing right. and we were looking at them all and we were like oh well, that's weird the next week we had another gig at a comedy festival and there was all these stand-ups being cool and we were in full costume and we were warming up to go on and we had a bad gig right and this and it's my fault because we were warming up and I suddenly looked at everyone and I went oh and they were like what, what is it going on and I went we're like the we're, we're like the reenactors in this group and they were like what I was like you know how we thought they were lame that's what they think about us. We're reenactors. And everybody went silent. <laughs> Normally you, you'd be like, oh, oh shut up, fuck no. you. Everyone just went silent and looked at the floor and I went, sorry, I shouldn't have said it before the gig. <laughs> and it was like, you know, like when you realise you're a theatre theatre kid, like yeah, in an yeah, American yeah. film, they're like, we're theatre geek. And we had to go on and do a show and it, it was like in this massive tent that had stand up and it was all, we, we couldn't do what we needed to do. And the show is very funny. Um, but like once you're in ostentatious and you spend your life dressing up like a reenactor but yeah. but pretending because it's funny it's okay there's a moment i mean we've been doing the show 13 years there was a moment where we had to sort of go this is so uncool and joe joseph morpurgo who's in it is a very cool comedian he does mm. this really really cool avant-garde stuff <laughs> and there would be this moment where people would like see his show and then sort of be like oh he's in ostentatious come and see it and be like oh what like hang on my cool my cool friend is a granddad like what (laughs) we would be like his uncle you know like his really lame friends like he's actually one of us you thought he was like the brave new face of comedy but actually he's as lame as we're fully aware how lame we are no i love it but it's it's um so this is the kind of the argument really for featuring not just one but two episodes of pride and prejudice on sentimental garbage because like anybody like you know this is taught in every classroom is secondary and university like people love this nobody no matter how deep a snob you are no one's gonna come for like Jane Austen's prose or the sort of um, no the legitimacy of particularly this production and how how incredibly considered it is and how serious the performances are and like that's all untouchable but it's it's not the material itself that has a kind of element of cringe around it it's the enthusiasm and the (laughs) fandom and the (laughs) it's the everyone like me watching that show wanting it wasn't enough six hours wasn't enough yeah it was like i need more of this like i love this austin heads are the trekkies of women yes (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, and I find Trekkies triggering for that reason. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's too much. Oh, God, that's me. Um, yeah. And that, that sense of like, because there's um, there's the six hours, which yeah. is like your entry fee, right? Mm-hmm. Your ticket to entry. But then there's all the books. And then there's like all the other books on decorum and things yeah, that you could yeah. read. And like, you can lose yourself in like thinking about the fashion for a while. Oh, there's so much stuff. Like, and there's like, so yeah. much. And it's so... The brilliant thing about the Georgian era, again, having studied it in depth, yeah. is it's sim- similar enough to us mm. that you can relate to it. It's not like when you read about Elizabethan times and it's just that bit removed that you're like, okay, I can't, I can't yeah. get on how you're all like just shitting on the floor like that. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you're going to the theatre, you're shitting on the floor. It's a bit much, guys. You're going to the theatre and you're shitting on the floor. <sighs> like, okay, this seems like really far away. And then it's just Georgian era, that like that air of, um, like you said, decorum that starts creeping in with the Georgians. And also, again, fashion-wise, it's very comfortable. Like yeah. compared to, if we had to do a Victorian improv show, we would be in agony after 13 years. But like Georgian clothes are comfortable. So it's this period of time when women can wear clothes that actually don't really restrict them. Mm. And look great like if you have any sort of rack it looks amazing that's true yes it looks brilliant and there's this you know the thing about that's so amazing about all of this as you said it is the text of Jane Austen because I had to study in depth that period at university and I can tell you not everyone was writing like Jane was like Mm. and so it's a lot of the um, fiction or novels birth of novels at that time are deeply deeply misogynistic mm. and horrific and it was a time where women started reading and it was a real fear about women reading and you have these horrible novels like Clarissa which are just like sort of porn in uh, that a woman is being like you know preyed on by someone horrible and mm. then like it, it, but it's gra- but it was written to like ch- women should read it to be aware basically yeah. but it, I mean, it I was guess horrific Tess, the, Tess of the Durbervilles is kind of a similar thing right where it's like this is what happens when you speak to men <laughs> Yeah, and don't then you, have a dad. <laughs> you get Jane in the middle of all that, who writes, you know, and is accused and and had this thrown has this thrown at her all the time of writing in just this pure domestic mm. way. But it's such a safe world, and it's a world that I think as a woman you you can relate to. You understand mm. what it's like to, you know, trying to keep your family happy, but also trying to like interact with someone at, yeah. at a ball. We've all been there, right? I just think. Her that female voice and the and the things that she focuses on, and also not to take away the main reason is she's a brilliant writer. Like whether mm-hmm. she's a woman or not, or it's a man writing it, she's an incredible writer. And the details that she goes into are so beautifully observed that you know that's why it still stands up today. And I always say to people, obviously when you are this much of a Austin cretin, um, people will take a stand against you and be like, oh, I've never I've never read any. And I always say, you should read Pride and Prejudice because it's genuinely yeah. funny. Like, it's genuinely romantic, but also you will laugh out loud. Like, the way she captures people, the way she observes Britishness and the hypocrisy and the silliness of how people behave around people they are worried about what they think about of them. Mm. Um, which is incredible. Of, which is part of what makes the book so particularly Pride and Prejudice so eternal because yes you have like this sweeping romance and and I think I, a, a lot of very ardent Austin people are very quick to point out that like yes it is the romance and yes it is that but it's also much more than that it's the anger at at love and marriage as being s- such opposing concepts in, in the first place but also I think what keeps it current is that like there are so many 
people who are just cunts in it. Yeah, yeah, like, they're horrible. And, but not even like that high level Caroline Bingley, like sort of I'm controlling all the men around me and sort of uh, damning Jane Bennett's happiness forever. But just like bores yeah. and like just people who just sort of um, like I, I actually have a lot of affection and sympathy for the, the Marys and the Mr. Collinses. Oh, the Mar- Mary Bennett. I think someone's writing a book on, from uh, Mary's point I think of everyone's on every perspective at yeah, this point. There's yeah, been yeah, death yeah. comes to Pemberley and all <laughs> yeah, that kind yeah, yeah. of stuff. But like I have such sympathy for Mary Bennett yeah. and just like people who are only and I think this is why it remains eternally relevant to dating culture now of like people who who socially don't thrive but they're not bad people she's they, not a bad person no. she just needs to get off the piano yeah like, and even Mr. Awful. Collins isn't a bad person no. and you can just you can feel him through the page just like jabbering away just because he doesn't really know what I to know. say and like yeah he's fucking boring but like that's why I think Jane Austen is such a, a genuine genius yeah. because she can observe people so clearly and and in a few lines you completely get the sense of him which is why I think there's so many good adaptations of Austin novels because an actor yeah. can read those two lines and go oh I know what you mean you mean yeah. this and you read you know there's other books timely books that are amazing and still stand up that are hard to adapt for television because yeah. they require so much prose around them or they require yeah. you need to like understand the rich description of their house and all this before you get them but Jane in two mm. lines can be like He's a vicar that goes on a bit, and you're like, I know what <laughs> yeah, you're talking. For ex- like, Got it. You're, you're Wuthering Heights, for example, yeah. like a very sweeping gothic love story, mm. but not fucking relatable. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No, and it's I like think... you know when you're mean and weird, and then your dad brings <laughs> home someone mean and weird, and he's raised as your brother, but also you kind of have it off with each other, but also no one ever sees because it's always on the moors, and then you marry the neighbor, and then he wreaks vengeance on your entire family you for know, generations. Right? You know, and it's like no. no. <laughs> But then I would say, like, Wuthering Heights is such a good example of, like, style. Like, that book, the text is, like, it's atmosphere, isn't it? Whereas Jane is all about details. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, if if the medium had developed in a different way, perhaps we'd all be talking about the 1995 Wuthering Heights. But because television evolved in the way that it did from mm. theatre in a very, you know, naturalistic close-up way, and you have an author that's writes naturalistic close-up dialogue yeah. it just transposes so easily yeah. so when people go oh why why do we still care about her it's like because she didn't realise but she was accidentally writing perfect television and perfect she, oh films. that's so because like yeah television is like a writer's medium more it's than anything medium. else because classically well, not anymore but it used to be fairly low budget and so therefore it was just like and here's the drawing room and people walk into the drawing room and they walk out of the drawing room whereas if you like are adapting something like Vanity Fair you yeah. need to like Put in the war, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. or the you know the hugeness of it, or the yeah the feeling that you get when you're reading it, like with Wuthering Heights, where it's like some it's brilliant writing capturing what it feels like to be out on a moor, but that's hard to yeah. then transpose to a television without going. Here's a shot of a moor. Do you yeah. feel like I do? No, I don't. <laughs> but Jane being like, oh my god, look at the way that they wear their clothes and the way they walk and the way they speak and they do this. You know, they're always complaining about being ill, and you're like, oh. I get it. I get it. And then I said for actors, it's just, you can see, I mean, the 1995 adaptation, I think, I was thinking about it, obviously this, the reason it's so particularly good, I think it hits a real midpoint of BBC adaptations. So you have all these amazing, amazing adaptations of, you know, Shakespeare, Dickens, Austin, that they they were doing in the 60s and 70s, which are a bit clunky in that, you know, Mm. the walls were a bit wobbly. But you're basically (laughs) getting RSC actors to, like, perform stuff, which is Mm -hmm. the the 70s version that everyone loves. So you're getting... The cast is impeccable. Like, just... Mm -hmm. They're all theatre performers, basically, from 
old to young or they've been acting for a very long time. Really, really solid. Like Benjamin Whitrow as Mr. Bennett. Like mm. David Bamber as Mr. Collins. Like these are heavyweight performances. So you've got like these heavyweight, amazing performances. And then it gets adapted by Andrew Davis, who is accused quite fairly of sexing it up. And really, it's like the beginning of shows. If you look at Pride and Prejudice, you can end with Game of Thrones. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Of like TV being a little bit too... It's got to be a bit sexy. It's got to be a bit interesting. He's got to dive in the lake. He's got to have a bath, which isn't in the text. Yeah. You don't really need it, but do we enjoy it? Yes, we fucking do. And they do. have a snog as well. And they have a snog. And so I think it's a really interesting midpoint of television where you've still got like you know there's no there's not cgi there's not like this yes. incredible budget they're using houses that look like that whether they were filming there or not um and then they're adding in that slightly sexiness to make it interesting but they're not losing it in the way that even though i'm a massive game of thrones fan like you start you yeah. know epic epic cgi epic battles epic costume that sometimes you think oh wonder who's talking and what's happening well there's so much about what happened with game of thrones i i loved that show um but it it did get to this point where it felt like it was trying it was trying to battle me from looking at my phone yes exactly it was trying to be like like, i would fucking dare you to look away because you might miss another brutal rape or or something titillating you know 1995 we're pre-phones we're pre-the internet it's It's that thing of trusting its audience like trusting you here for this conversation for one hour on a sunday and we'll see you again next week yeah you know what you got nowhere else to be to do what are you going to do you're going to spend the next week pretending you're in this show that's how lame your life is so I think that's why it still hits such a sweet spot because it's it's not like when you watch you know I've watched lots of BBC 1970s Shakespeare adaptations that incredible actors but yeah you're looking at your phone a bit because you're like god this scene is 20 minutes long come I on tr- guys I tried to watch I Claudius recently oh, that, I love that, I Claudius but it's hard it is hard it is hard <laughs> I Claudius I I do maintain you have to switch your brain into a, into, into pre-internet area. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, you have to sort of train your ear and eye to it. Yes. You know, like it's difficult. It is difficult, although I, I think if you can, it's worth it because it's so good. Best death on screen, Brian Blessed. Who'd have thought? <laughs> it's the best death I've ever seen on screen. I don't think I got that oh, far. I'm it's sorry. so good. No, I understand, but that's interesting because you see the the sets are a bit shaky. They can't really yes. do Roman times, so it's all a bit you know filmed in Elstree. Um, and with Pride and Prejudice, like they've got a bit more budget, they've got the houses. And every single shot is just aching with consideration. Oh, it's so beautiful. That thing of like, I was watching sort of behind the scenes featurettes and uh, this thing of them really working from the ground up yes. in terms of like, first we pick, first we find the locations, which when you're filming anything, that is kind of number one, right? But the thing of like, okay, what is um, the Bennett's house versus Rosings versus oh. Chatsworth, not Chatsworth, Pemberley, Pemberley, which is shot in Chatsworth in... 2005 I think I don't know um, and like using that as like to position the economy of all these characters against each other then working with the wardrobe and it's like okay oh. the Bennett girls they're they're pretty but they're not fashionable and they're wearing like clothes that cotton. wash easy yeah you know? everything's white and cotton and you see they repeat their clothes loads so yeah. Lizzie wears that same red dress quite a few times um, J- Lizzie has one nice white dress that comes out for all the nice balls yes like, that detail of like yeah they're country folk and as she says I'm a gentleman's daughter but yeah. he's not and, and then um, Lady Berg says yeah but who are your uncles and it's like yeah they they don't have a lot of power and position and it, you see that in the house but I mean it's like a fucking what's it garden and home magazine it's so beautiful yeah, yeah. you're like oh if this is looked down on please take me back to 1814 I it's it's so needed right because like you it, that's the thing of like the sort of joke of watching any kind of period drama where it's like okay we're supposed to believe that this 
this pe- these people are poor and they have a, a chef. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've got Hill. They've got some other yeah. servants. But you do get this sense with the like, okay, um, this is a, a a good sized house, but everyone's packed into one room yeah. because they can only afford to heat one room. And, and five girls at that yeah. time, it's a nightmare. Five girls is an absolute nightmare. Like that's why this is why I. I think as you get older you understand the characters in different ways because when you're younger you're like Mrs. Bennett's mad like she's crazy yeah. and then you're like she has five children that she has to marry off yeah. and then imagine I was watch, re-watching it and thinking the situation that that Jane just doesn't get that house because she's a fucking girl it's yeah, so it, mental it is so mental that like that Mr. Collins this cousin distant cousin is going to swoop and just no wonder Mrs. Bennett's furious yeah. and like like I don't want to see Charlotte Lucas she's going to enjoy like of course she hates her because that's her home that she's like yeah. brought up her children in and it's not hers because she didn't deign to like bring forth a boy from her womb it's so mad and also you can tell that like she's wound up even further because she has this incredibly like sanguine husband and who won't sort of engage with the re- like like I think that increasingly as the time has passed with um, these adaptations more people are sympathizing with the, like the hysterical Miss Piggy yes. sort of like Mrs. Bennett performance yeah. and less and less so with this this guy who's doing nothing and like I actually found myself very moved in the scene where um you know like so like Lizzie we're, we're jumping a lot and we haven't been moving linearly but we that's fine. We expect you to know the text. We expect you to know the text. <laughs> we, like the BBC, respect our viewers. Yes, exactly. Um, so, you know, Lydia, uh, sorry, Lizzie begs her dad just don't let Lydia go to Brighton. She will make a fool of all of us because yep. she has this growing awareness of like, because she's so obsessed with how Mr. Darcy sees her and sees them. Yep. She has this growing sense of like, oh, this kind of pod of family that is so intimate and so silly and so teasing and it's just us. I'm actually becoming growingly aware of how the world sees us because I'm now seeing I'm us. I'm being judged by it. I'm being judged by the guy that like I both fancy and hate kind of yeah. thing, which is obviously And her sister yum. is, Lizzie, um, Lydia is 15. It's 15. <laughs> which is not cool. And he sort of says something to her like, oh, like she needs to sort of embarrass herself once yeah. or twice to get out of her system and she's not rich enough for anyone to prey on her, which is a very real thing. Yeah. And was for many like of, of like rich teenage girls like um Georgiana Darcy yeah. of being very genuine prey. Yeah, vulnerable vulnerable and like they were just being swept off to Gretna Green and then like by these these Mr. Wickham characters like this was a real public concern for many years and it's covered actually very well in Laura Thompson's book Heiresses which is one of my favourite books on the subject um, but like I'm reading many books on the subject it's the only book I've read on this subject um, I'd highly recommend it but then uh, like she then obviously it all goes tits up and like the whole family is disgraced. And what's great about this adaptation is that you spend so much more time yes. stewing in the disgrace. Yes. Whereas for for time in the 2005 version, it's all wrapped up very quickly. And that's, I think, the problem with any film version it's it's a book and and yeah. Jane because she's obsessed with details and she's obsessed with very slow time passing because she lives in a time where time passes slowly mm-hmm. you you can't capture the severity of what happens with Lydia in the 2005 one i think they boil it down very well to Lizzie and Darcy they mm-hmm. capture that but then as you said the book is so much more than that yeah and Lydia's storyline is really important that we see her at the beginning as this silly frothy girl we like Mr. Bennett don't take frothing us, girl yeah literally like. frothing <laughs> we don't take her seriously um, Lydia and Kitty are just ridiculous and then you know it's a very moralistic take on the subject but the danger of not taking that seriously is mm. shown by Jane Austen not Bennett <laughs> of 
yeah, Mr. Bennett just doesn't take it seriously, and he doesn't yeah. take anything seriously. And that, and then, but when it all comes crashing down, that heartbreaking scene where he's like, "I have failed you all," and like, he says, "I'm ashamed of myself." Although I shouldn't worry, Lizzie. I shall, I shall stop feeling it sooner than I'm meant to, or something. And it's just like, yeah. he knows his flaws. He knows yeah. that he doesn't, he doesn't take anything seriously enough, and that has been hit the bane of his life. Hence, he married a woman who is is not yeah. right and is very silly and they're not really suited. They're not really su- And also it's like, it sort of weighs heavily on Lizzie's, you know, sort of ambivalence towards marriage that she's living in a house with a bad marriage in it. Yeah, I know. I know. And I think when the 1995 version, to be fair, does froth everything up slightly mm-hmm. and it does make Mr. and Mrs. Bennett very delightful and silly and yeah. Alison's hilarious. My friend Alison. Um, <laughs> but I think... As you get older and you rewatch it, or you re- even rereading the book, you do start seeing that marriage and going, "This is, this is sad." Like that's yeah. what Jane Austen is so good at. You're like, "Oh, ha ha!" Mister Bennet ignores her. She's always fainting yeah. and needing smelling salts. Actually, she's always fainting because her five children, like she needs to get five girls married, and they don't have anything to offer themselves. Yeah, except other, for they're just charms. They're charming, <laughs> and two of them are charming. Two of them are not. Yeah. Two of them are mad, and one of them is not charming at all, is like definitely a social problem. And a husband who doesn't take it remotely seriously, who just is like, oh, they'll be fine. And you're like, they won't be fine. If Mrs. Bennett yeah. doesn't marry them off, like what will happen to them? And the whole thing, the kind of the opening gambit, which kind of introduces us to the dynamic of the Bennetts, which is that like, oh, you know, Netherfield has been let at last. And you oh, must, Mr. Bennett, you must Bennett. go visit Mr. Bingley. And he's like, no. And then he's like, I have. Yeah, I know. And then he says, yeah, I, oh, I have. And she like basically passes out and you're like, like, imagine being married to that. That's awful. Like, That's just, awful. Just tell me that you've done it. Why are you making me more hysterical? Because yeah. I'm this hyster... It's gaslighting. Yeah, your nerves have been a constant companion to me these 20 years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's, what again, what I love about her is that she just draws your attention to the dynamic of a relationship, makes you laugh at it. And then if you come back to it, you go, oh, that's pain. Like, all of Jane's yeah. characters are in pain. And because Jane Austen was in pain and that's one thing I want to say which I think the reason Pride and Prejudice stands is it's a fantasy of someone who didn't get that so she loved someone who loved her and he was from a rich family and he um, proposed to her and his family said no and they blocked the marriage and he went along with it so this is a woman writing the story of what should have happened. And actually the joke of Jane Austen, oh, all the books are quite similar. It's like, she's constantly writing the story of what should have happened to her. And that's why you watch Pride and Prejudice and the love that she puts into Mr. Darcy saying, I've I've behaved like a shit. Like, (laughs) not quite how she puts it. But like, I owe you an apology. I love you. It doesn't matter who your family are. I will oversee that because love matters. That is a woman writing something that did not happen to her. Yeah. That's why it stands up 200 years later because we can all feel that. If she had got what she wanted, if Jane Austen had been married and fine, you wouldn't get a book like that. Like, And that's not to say art has to come from pain Mm -hmm. because it doesn't, but it's coming from a place of deep, deep sadness that she didn't get that. So she gives it to Lizzie. And that's what I think you feel yeah. that joy when he when they finally say like oh you know I've been I have judged you as harshly as you've judged me and you know it doesn't matter about your family basically yeah. I love you any despite your insane family oh. who doesn't want to hear that but the, but, the, the, but the first opening gambit of him being like coming to the rectory and just being like hello um, 
Everyone you've ever met sucks. Yeah. Everyone you love sucks. I am gallantly willing to ignore that. And yeah. your lack of connection, your tacky mum, yeah. everything, your weird dad. Despite my better judgment. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm gamely willing to marry you. And she's like, no. Which is so <laughs> amazing. Awful. Because in 1814, if a man of £10,000 a year, which yeah. is in, like, this is the other thing. a millionaire. It's extra. It's an extraordinary amount of money. Yeah. Mr. Bingley's £5,000 a year, which is a, a lot. But 10000 is like... Yeah, bazillion. It's like really, really, really extraordinarily wealthy, mm-hmm. Mr. Darcy is, which I think sometimes we forget because we hear 10,000 a year and it doesn't sound yeah. like much. It's like talking to, even talking to Lizzie is beneath him. I think someone did the sort of the maths and it's about oh, $1.5 million yeah, it's, a it's, year. Yeah, it's a lot of money. He's insanely wealthy. And and what she is on is is nothing. She's the yeah. second daughter of a, of a, of a gentleman um, and they're definitely new money. You know, they haven't come from, it seems like Mr. Bennett has done, Mr. Bennett's done well this time. And Mm -hmm. who knows who his dad was. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, easy at that time for, yeah, like that's the other problem why the militia are so controversial. Because if you could join the militia and you could do well in the militia, you could suddenly raise your circumstances, which happens in Persuasion, another book by Jane Austen. (laughs) Um, So it was a very nervous time of like oh people without money could suddenly have money and then we all have to be nice to them because with the rule is you have to be nice to people with money which is why Catherine de Berg is so um, oh god where is she it's Catherine isn't it yeah um is so anti Lizzie because it's like yeah. what the fuck this nothing can't jump she's jumping like five social yeah yeah um I haven't had any sleep so I can't think of words <laughs> you would not know <laughs> five social stratas whatever it is yeah so it's it's a huge bit deal when she shows up at the house oh. in the middle of the night and and this hit me really literally where I lived where she uh, sort of is snide about the west facing sitting room because I have a west facing oh, sitting yes. room and it brings me a lot of agony it's yeah, not she, well situated yeah yeah she's like you must not enjoy it it's far too west and I thought yeah. how does she know that immediately she immediately. walks into a room this is west this is west <laughs> and I tell you guys it sucks it's it's, it's not good it's hard Um, it's a hard life living west Um, but uh, yeah and then they have the oh you have a pretty bit of woods let's go out like I can't be in this room any longer outside in the middle of the night is preferable you have a a pretty bit of wilderness to the side and, and the way Lizzie speaks to her is again like it's it's complete novelization, it's complete fictionalization. It's Jane yeah. giving what every girl would have wanted to say. There's no way in eighteen fourteen you would have spoken to someone like she's your better, and you wouldn't have it would have been yeah. pretty shocking to speak like that. I'm sure people did, obviously, but it was you would have been reading that being like, Whoa, she just told grandma to fuck off. <laughs> oh my goodness, I didn't know we could do that. Like it's extraordinary what she but gives But she Lizzie. is very much like Lizzie Bennett is a wish fulfillment character. Yes, absolutely. As you've just explained, literally a wish fulfillment yeah. character for Jane Austen herself, but also a wish fulfillment character for every woman who's ever read her and had yeah. thought of the good thing to say in an argument yes. two weeks later. <laughs> the way Lizzie slams her in that argument is so because She's hot-headed. We know that, right? Mm-hmm. We know that she goes off and 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 feels things very strongly. And Lady de Berg says, well, you know, tell me, are you engaged to him? So you think, you think Lizzie's going to go, well, I'm not actually, and get out. But she's like, I'm not going to tell you. And you're like, ah, Lizzie, yeah. what? And it's such a power play. And I'm so, I'm so impressed with Lizzie that she doesn't give up her information straight away. She's mm-hmm. like, well, you've just said it doesn't, you know, I'm nothing. So how can I be? Yeah. And it's like, it's like, like chess. It's like, so good. Like, wow. That's because then you see Lady Berg being like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's got me at my own game here. And it's such a nice way to show that character of like, yeah, 
she's in love with him, but she's not going to lose herself. She's not going to stop being Lizzie Bennet. She's still going to be Lizzie Bennet, even though we know at this point, by now we know she's in love with him and we know yeah. that she does want him to propose again. She's not going to go, okay, Lady de Berg, whatever you say, because I, yeah, yeah. I want... like it, It's so mad how that's how they get together, where it's like, it's so mad. I heard my aunt came and yelled at you last night. And <laughs> yes, she did. <laughs> I mean... The amount of mortification I felt because, like, even when they're dancing and basically, like, your mum, dad, aunts and uncles have to watch you oh, yeah. dance. Or the bit where Bingley comes to propose to Jane and Lizzie just does a little turn while doing some sewing. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> so awkward that you're getting proposed to and your sister has to sit there next to you because you can't be left alone unless, you know, or I accidentally... That's why Mrs. Bennet... Mrs. Bennet's behaviour is inappropriate. So when she takes Lizzie out, it's inappropriate Yeah, to say, like... Which is why Lizzie's embarrassed because it's, like... We're not supposed to leave her alone. Like that's not ladylike. Oh, is that what's happening? Yeah, it's she's Mrs. Bennett is rushing the proposal in that yeah, moment. Yeah. So she's behaving in that way that we expect her to. Of like, uh-huh. oh Lizzie, we've got to come upstairs. And or she sends Kitty, doesn't she? It's definitely not particularly um like upper class, I yeah. suppose you'd say. You can see the machinations of the mother at work and it would be looked down upon by someone like Caroline Bingley who would expect, you know, you'd have a bigger house so that someone could be in the room next door perhaps yes. and still be chaperoning okay. you. But there's such a small room. So, oh. and she'd promised Jane she'd stay. But yeah, it's definitely not cool behaviour to be like, oh, we all have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like if Jane was more of a lady, that wouldn't be necessary. Oh, So yeah. Layers on layers. Layers on layers. The other layer we should talk about, which I think is the other reason why 1995 shits on every other version, (laughs) not shits, delicately flicks its fan, is that they got together. Is that Jennifer Ely and Colin Firth had an affair. And I an affair affair? Was someone married? No, no, sorry. I meant a love affair. In the romantic sense. In the romantic sense. I think that's why this version is so yeah. good because you are watching two actors who are playing two people falling in love falling in love never not satisfying never <laughs> not satisfying and i was when i was watching it um with my husband i was like the the amount of stuff that has to come together for that to happen to like cast two yeah. actors that have chemistry that like each other that aren't with other people i mean they may have been i don't know um and then for them to get together on screen like, that's so rare that you see that happening. But you see they fucking fancy each other so much. And the, I think those initial shots when they're looking at each other, like, that's two people who genuinely fancy each other and yeah. are having an affair. And they broke up before it came out. <gasps> so that's why there's no... You never saw them out together. Yeah, yeah, because I had heard that, but I had, I, yeah. I, and I did the research, but <coughs> nothing comes up. Oh, yeah. I, I found, because uh, I had also heard it and believed it, and then I went and looked, because I was like, have I invented this because I want it to be true? Yeah. They were together, and she admitted it years later. She said, we, we, had, we were together, but they broke oh, up wow. before the show came out. So I guess at that point, they're two relatively unknown actors. They're filming a BBC adaptation. Yeah, it was his first major role, right? Yeah, and who's not filming a BBC adaptation? Also, I need to settle this in my head. How the fuck do you pronounce her last name? Ely. Ely. Yeah, Jennifer Ely. I was saying Eel for years. Oh, then... no, she's an Ely. Yeah, Ely, I'm okay. sure. She's from a very famous acting family as well. She's an incredible... I think she's incredible. She was supposed to be Catelyn Stark in Game of Thrones. <gasps> she was down to do it. And she had to... She decided to pull out because of her children. There was something to do with, like, okay. the children were still too young and she didn't want to commit to seven seasons. But she would have been so good. Oh, God. Even though I do love so Catelyn good. Stark. She would have been amazing. Yeah. My God. That's really blown. The mum, right? That's her yeah, name. Yeah, 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 of course. 
Yeah. But so that's, I think, <laughs> two big bl- mind blowers there for you. Yeah. They were fucking, she was supposed to be fucking <laughs> stuff. But that's what I think is so magic. So when it comes out and it's this huge hit instantly, they're not together. So they're not like falling out of the ivy or obviously Jennifer's not that kind of girl anyway. Yeah. Um, she's very private. I love her so much. Um, during pan- during the pandemic on Instagram, yeah. she would just go to her car and just do Instagram lives where she would read Pride and Prejudice. <gasps> And she would read it and get welled up at things that were read and go, oh, that's so beautiful. And it was just, it was a real dreamy place to be during the pandemic. It was like, thank you, Jennifer, for giving me that. <laughs> like, oh. I needed to come back there with you. Um, that's so that's also you've got incredible chemistry, which I don't think you get in the 2005 version. Even though I like it, I like the film, you do not get the same chemistry. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that there's an interesting um, difference between the Matthew McFadden and the Col- Colin Firth. I personally, oh, the thing is, I'm more likely to throw on the 2005 version because it's it's beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. The cinematography is incredible. The, the filmmaking is very inventive. Yeah. Like It makes that- it feel more modern, the way he's shot it. You don't feel like you're yes. watching a BBC version. Exactly. So yeah. you see its merits. You oh, know. I, lo- I, lo- yeah. I yeah. think the ball version. All Jane Austen is good Jane Austen. All Jane Austen. But the way Joe Wright films the balls... <laughs> it's so sorry it sounded so weird yeah there you the want to be that yeah thing. and yeah. you feel like if I had been 14 and watched that I would have been like yeah. that's my version but for me Kira will never be Lizzie and Matthew McFadden as succession has proved is a comic actor yeah. who was miscast as Mr Darcy I, I do agree with you but I I love the, him. the argument you made here is that like um, I think that Colin Firth plays Darcy as somebody who has genuinely been enshrined by other people who are wealthy yep. and genuinely believes, is proud yeah. and believes himself to be superior to these like yeah. backwater, like... It's real. The arrogance is real. Yeah. You feel it. I think it is. Ar- I think that portrayal is arrogant, whereas I think Matthew McFadden's... Uh, and then, then like, Colin Firth's character hum- is humbled throughout. Yeah. And also we see him with his own staff and his own people in Derbyshire. He's nice to like, the poor people. He's nice to them. <laughs> you know, he likes poor people he knows, just not poor people he doesn't. Exactly. Um, and and uh, we see him humbled and, like, obviously brought sort of... Uh, more fleshed out by his love for Lizzie. Whereas in the 2005 version... Matthew McFadden is playing it like somebody who's genuinely awkward mm. with everyone, kind of. And I wonder if, again, what do you do after Firth has done that version? He must yeah. have grown up with that version. And he's, he's a smart actor. He's a you smart know? actor. So he's like, oh, I'll find something else. I'll find the shades he hasn't quite coloured in. But I think Matthew McFadden has a streak of vulnerability about him that makes yeah. him an incredible actor, which is why his performance in Succession, yeah. I mean, again, he plays a total arsehole that you yeah. feel sorry for quite a lot. Yeah. And it's yeah. actually a more of a Darcy performance in Succession than it is in Pride and Prejudice, where I think I agree that he's playing the awkwardness, but you're like, I don't want my Darcy, I want my Darcy, I need, you need to hate him. You yeah. need to feel like Lizzie does that, like, oh, he's an asshole. Nothing to do with yeah. him. So that when she starts falling, you're like, what? <laughs> What's happening, Lizzie? We don't like him. And you need to be like the Bennets of like, but you're not, you don't like him. That's, yeah. we, we don't like him, right? That's what we've all decided. Yeah. And Firth nails that. It and really he nails, does. I think, again, because he obviously fancied Jennifer Ely. <laughs> not to say he's not a good actor. He's a very good actor. I'm sure he could play fancying Jennifer Ely, but he also did fancy Jennifer Ely. The way that it, you feel like his love for... 
Lizzie is undermining his own belief system. Yes, yes. And I don't think you get that in 2005. I think you get a character that's already uncomfortable with things and already having to struggle with things. Whereas first seems, Darcy at first seems absolutely fine doesn't need her and then he's like oh shit I love her oh god and I and you believe him I don't want to love you that yeah. they both don't want to be in this situation that's romantic comedies I don't want to love you I can't believe <laughs> I, I hate you love, I can't believe I hate you exactly and acting crazy <laughs> number 10 I love you so <laughs> that that tension between the pair of them I just don't think you get in the film version and I, we shouldn't compare everyone's different yeah. but come on Ely for me, as soon, I, as soon as I found out Knightley was cast as Lizzie Bennet, and I think she does a good job, but the point of Lizzie is that she is not beautiful. The point of Lizzie is that she's developed a personality of sass, wit and charm because she is not the prettiest in her family. She is witty. That is the thing mm. about her. And I don't know. This is like an interesting... It might, it's kind of... Sorry, it sounds unrelated, but I promise we'll get there. Um, I love the book Rebecca. Sure. Um, and I've read it a lot of times. And uh, this this thing of like, this is a character who kind of refers to her own kind of meekness and her own backdroppiness constantly. Yet if we look at the evidence around her that like she swept this like rich widower <laughs> off his feet in Monte Carlo. Yeah, how rough are you? How rough are you? Yeah, and yeah, there's yeah. all these evidence that like, she has this, um, exo- we never find out her name, um, but the she has an exotic name to match her exotic personality. And it's like, I, I, I'm often interested, cause I'm re- I, I've re- been rereading Pride and Prejudice for this, obviously, um, and how the Bennets are often referred to as being these kind of famous beauties and they're yeah, vibrant true, and everyone true. sort of loves them. And because we spend so much of both adaptations within the sort of enshrined circle of the family, we're like, we're, su- we're, we're supposed to feel like they're our family a bit. And yeah, like, oh yeah. yeah, you know, my sister Lizzie's a bit rough, but whatever. But like, I actually don't find Kira Knightley's beauty to be a problem. That's interesting. I Because their, their setbacks is not that they're not attractive. It's that yeah. they have no money. I think there's something about Kira Knightley's beauty that screams money <laughs> oh okay okay and that's I think you're right to call me on that because I don't think I don't mean oh she's too pretty to be Lizzie because that's not a good enough argument because Lizzie is pretty yeah. she's not striking yeah. they're great heart for your beauties which yeah. Caroline Bingley very often says well, I don't see what the fuss is about they're not yeah I've seen yeah so even for court. Caroline Bingley to say that it means that people do be chatting <clears throat> about it oh like. yeah I definitely think but I get the vibe that they're like country beauties yeah so to Hertfordshire people they're lovely but I think Knightley is such a striking face and she looks like she comes from money <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say about someone but what I mean is like Knightley could play Darcy and McFadden could play Lizzie. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? I feel like her beauty <laughs> matches the arrogance of what you cast in a Darcy yeah. oh, wow. and her confidence. A gender flip. Gender flip because and McFadden has that slight almost perhaps commonly found in women that more insecurity yeah. of like I am handsome but I don't really understand why I am <laughs> and I don't know how to use it yet and that's yeah. Whereas Nightly being Darcy, yeah. I totally buy that. Yeah. She has that that inner strength of like, it doesn't matter what you do, I won't be affected by it because I come from rich, loving parents. <laughs> I, I think I feel like strangely protective of Kira Knightley because like I think there was a real sense that like the same thing that happened to Anne Hathaway in that time period yeah. happened to Kira, and that like she was really someone who is 
overly criticized and accused of not having a craft because she was so attractive when I think she I has agree. a huge craft. <clears throat> and I would never, that's the thing, I don't, I'm not knocking the acting. Yeah. And I don't knock Knightley and I have friends that do <laughs> in the Austin world and I would always stick up for her because I think that you watched her develop that craft. Mm-hmm. Let's all be honest. Mm-hmm. Initially it was not there. <laughs> Bend it like Beckham, it was an unusual performance. Charming, but unusual. And then I think by the time she got to Pride and Prejudice, I think she acts brilliantly, but I just... I have a theory. Some people okay. have antique faces and some people have modern faces. Yes, totally. Billy Piper has a modern face. Uh-huh. She did a Jane Austen adaptation. It was odd. She mm. didn't look like she was meant to be there. What is that? Yeah, it's, it's the face that has seen a phone. Yeah. The face that has seen, <laughs> seen a thousand, a thousand phones. phones. <laughs> <laughs> it's why it's so funny every time I see Ben Affleck in Shakespeare in Love. Exactly. It doesn't it's, make sense. It doesn't make but sense. But I love that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And you can have an antique face that can fit many eras. My face, yeah. particularly Georgian and Victorian. But I can also do Edwardian. Uh, Elizabethan, not so much. Mm. Knightley, her face is 1930s. Atonement. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. But I don't think she has a particularly Georgian face. <laughs> or antique. I have sort of a Dutch Protestant face. You do, and it's beautiful. You, I can <laughs> see a Vermeer... Large and uh, egg flavour. No, you've got the nice skin like a Vermeer painting. <laughs> if you put a, like a white thing around your head, you yeah, still look nice. I should have a white thing around my head and like standing next to a table that's laden with fruit mm. that has more detail than me. And a small dog. <laughs> and a small dog. You'd look great. Yeah. I, I look Georgian or Victorian. Like you put me in those costumes and it's like... I think you should be... You're from there. Are you a time traveller? Yeah. Like, I don't have a modern face. And no no criticism of either. No criticism of either. And I don't want to be mean tonight because I hate it when people are mean just because someone is beautiful. But I just don't think she embodies Lizzie. I think, as I said, I'd cast her as Darcy. Like, I just mm. don't think... Or even Jane. I just don't think she had the... When you look at Ely's sass and yeah. Ely's... The way, but the thing is, I people always make that argument about... Um, uh, Kira Knightley but I think that Jennifer Ely is so beautiful and also not not to be an asshole obviously more attractive than Jane <laughs> in every way I've met Susanna way. Hawker okay I, I, I'm sorry <laughs> but I, I think Susanna, Susanna Hawker is, is beautiful but the way she's sort of shot and styled in well, it's very period appropriate they're the, like the incredibly mad little curly yeah they, they that's the one thing I would say again of when you compare the two versions the 1995 version is really appropriate like as in they've mm. gone to the books and the 2005 is is not like yeah. they've they've texted it up we've, yeah. we've moved far past a point where you can say to an audience well that's what they did look like they'll mm. go well they look rough with those girls <laughs> so they give Kira that like windswept you're like yes. she wouldn't have had that she would have had ringlets around her head because that's what they they yeah. did also let's have a moment for Jennifer Ely's wig is that a wig? It's a fucking wig. No. Greatest wig in television history. It's a wig. She has blonde hair. <gasps> I wish I could take a picture of this face. I thought you knew. Greatest wig in television history. That is a great, yeah. great wig. Hence, it doesn't move. If you notice, her hairstyle never changes. It's always in the same set. Jane yeah. has lots of different plaits because yeah, that's yeah, Susanna's yeah. hair. And there's one wig for up and one wig for down. So there's a couple of shots where she has it down in a plait. Yes. And that is still a wig. Yeah. Her hair is blonde. Blondie brown. So wow. they obviously wanted to differentiate between her and Jane and make Jane the blonde yes, beauty. Yes, of course. Yeah. Which actually, to be fair, I don't, I don't know if that is mentioned in the book, <clears throat> but now that is what everyone thinks, is that yeah. like, Jane is blonde and beautiful. Yeah, canonically, Lizzie, Jane has to be blonde. Yeah, yeah, and Lizzie is the brunette best friend, basically. Yeah. <laughs> which is um, a, a great role, a great role. Uh, yeah, greatest wig in television history, in my opinion. Oh my God. We ha- I can't believe we've gotten this far into it and we haven't even talked about the lake scene. <laughs> 
I watched. Or do, you feel, do you feel like that you're such a big fan that the lake scene is sort of like beneath you? No, it's not beneath me. It's like I watched it not knowing. I watched it not knowing it wasn't in the book. So I remember lots of people being sniffy about it, and like, oh, ridiculous, and they've added this mm-hmm. in. And I was like, I don't, I don't care. He, it's hot. He jumped in a lake. Yeah. And it did, you know, obviously, I said I was eleven, so I was just like, I don't know what's happening. Why do you but think I like it, it was the phenomenon that it is? Do you know Andrew Davis wanted him to be naked? Really? He was supposed to be naked. It was supposed to be that, like, it's a boiling hot day. Yeah. He's a Pemberley man. It's his home. He's relaxed. He takes his clothes off and, and dives yeah. in. Because it, at that time, if you went swimming, you would have gone nude. A man yeah. would have gone nude. And the BBC were like, hell no. Hell no. <laughs> and I'm sure perhaps Mr. Firth was pleased about that. So they have the bath scene, don't they, where he gets bathed with a shirt on. And then re-watching it, I was like, why is he in his clothes? It's such a weird... It actually looks yeah. weird that he gets in his shirt and trousers and just jumps in but the But I've lake. always interpreted that scene as being like... And it's it's it, uh, the interesting um, comparative point to it is the Matthew McFadden's hand flexing in the 2005 version okay, that people yeah. are so obsessed with, which is that I think um, what's, what's being done with both scenes is that we need to be reminded that these are people living in physical bodies. Yes. Because they're so yeah, like yeah, yeah. chattering little intellectual yes. heads. and it's all heads and it's all stiff, yeah. stiff strong spines, not really uh, moving. And this thing of him being so overcome with horniness and desire that he hates about himself. Yeah. Because also, if you really think about like Darcy's point of view, this is somebody who is like the absolute top tier of the aristocracy. Mm. And in order to operate within the aristocracy with any sort of like freedom of movement, you have to truly believe that you were born to be better than other people. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if you also believe that like the person that you fall in love with and the person that you are going to marry is going to be someone who is your equal like spiritually, emotionally, financially, whatever. And then to fall in love with somebody who's so many rungs beneath you is to upend your entire yep. vision of what society he is. He didn't want it to happen. So he just went in the river. Like <laughs> I understand that. It's like his brain short-circuited and he had to go in the river. Yeah, and on re-watching it, I actually found it less weird than the shot of um, Lizzie Bennet playing with his dog. <laughs> there's that dog oh, bit yeah. and it's like she like rough and tumbles with the dog and also they make her at any time she has to that go that is weird that's I weird. agree and any time she has to go anywhere she has to run to prove that she's carefree yes I just stop running oh, for no reason the making of featurettes are very proud of the running yeah they, they're like you know because it's like oh we've never seen them run before yeah no like, they're obsessed with how yeah. they made them run and I guess because previously to that it was all filmed in a studio yeah. inside and you didn't show the outside of the house and you didn't show Lizzie running and it's a great way to say she's different to other girls she yeah. runs but watching it now you're like I get it she's free willed <laughs> she so, does what she likes so I didn't mind yeah I think the lake scene you know purists still hate it because it's not in the book but I I, I I would argue you have to adapt to a medium and I think what you said is completely true like it, it shows him in a robust physical way uh, and and also acknowledges his horniness and his sexuality in a way that you can't do in a book because she wrote it in 1814 and she mm. wasn't there was I doubt she even allowed herself to think those things did Jane Austen ever have sex do you think well she was never married so so you think never no I mean wow. yeah unless it's something so was happening. mad that one of the best selling novelists of all time yeah never has never had sex and I have <laughs> <laughs> in a way you've got more t- more connection with Keira Knightley <laughs> Then you have with Jane, because you both had an, a happy sex life, unlike Jane. You don't know my life. <laughs> Compared to Jane. She was engaged to this guy who she wasn't allowed to marry. That was the love of her life. Yes, I, I was the subject of the film Becoming Jane. Which oh, I, I, yes. Was that any good? 
Anne Hathaway, the one of the, 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 hate, the actually, hated brunettes. I'm the... struggling to remember it amongst all the other ones, yeah. which is not a good sign. No. And she was engaged to another man, Jane, with a hilarious name, like, it's something like Harold Hinterbottom or something, like in the way that you're like, that's made up. She was engaged to him for 24 hours. She proposed and the next morning she woke up and said, oh, I'll take it back. Um, and that was it. Wow. And then she basically lived with her, you know, with her went around the relatives. Yeah, Cassandra. Yeah. And then they had a brother who was very wealthy, who married well and did well. And she was very good friends with his wife. I think yeah. it was Edward Austin. And she was a governess for a bit for them. And, and then, yeah, ended up pretty poor and alone and... So yeah. here's something um, as a Austin scholar, you can tell me. I know I'm already how, saying stuff that I can hear other people being like, "That's not true." That's not true. So sorry um, if I got it wrong. How famous and successful was she in her own time period? Because she was red, right? Like, <clears> why? Why did she end up poor? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> from the voice of a nervous novelist. Yeah, book deals. <laughs> she was red. So the first was published without her name. Was written by a lady. Yeah. Um, what was the first one to be published? Oh God, now you're asking me. I'm sorry. It, no, it what was are five novels. Six. Six. Um, six and a half if you count Sanderton, right? And I'm just so nervous because I can hear every Jane Austen oh, person sorry. going. She doesn't even know what she's talking about. The first one was uh, Northanger Abbey. Northanger Abbey is the first one she wrote, which she wrote when she was really, really young. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure it was the first one published. And some were published together. Northanger Abbey is basically a satire as well. Of it's like... kind of a gothic satire. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it is. she was really young when she wrote the first version yeah. of it. Um, and it was published. And then it was published with her name. But she was. it wasn't published very long until then she died. And her brother mm. took hold of the copyright. So right. she just had sold it basically I think for like £100 or something I honestly can't remember and okay. I know people will be so cross and I don't have internet down here guys to check these things <laughs> but I know there was a gap of time because and this was, uh, was um, Joe Wright's justification for setting it in 1719 as opposed to 1830 was that she began drafting Prime yes, Prejudice yeah. quite, quite young and then yeah. it published much later <laughs> yeah there was there was redrafts of it yeah so there are different versions of it oh is that what he his his justification yes, was <laughs> yeah well no and i totally respect <clears throat> it because um you've got to do something you've got the 1995 version you gotta to you gotta do yeah. something and also if he were to and i think for mostly he wanted to get set in a different um era because he hated the dresses and i'm with him i hate those fucking dresses i'm you, so sorry you what you hate them i hate them you hate that empire line i hate it have you ever put one on no, but I know what it would do to me because I have very big boobs and I think it would look like I was someone's wet nurse, I think, if I No, I on. also have very big boobs as much yeah. do you, of ostentatious and you'd be surprised. Really? You'd be surprised, yeah, because it's... I'll try it, okay? You try, you try yeah. it. I know, but I, I hate the colours. I like... Oh, no, I I live. hate the stupid little jacket that goes on oh, top. Oh, the little Spencer. <laughs> the Spencer jacket. I live I for I do it. much prefer looking at the clothes in the 2005 version. I'm oh, sorry. Interesting. They're flattering. Well, also, I would argue again, like, they've really... It's not... If, you know, when's yeah. he saying it? 1790 or yes. something? Yes. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it is, but they, they've they've used very similar colour palettes that were Georgian and they've used very, like, they look yeah. very similar to what the Ely girls, um, Ely girls, the 1995 yeah. lot are wearing. They look like they're wearing less stays, which is the bra, mm-hmm. which wasn't really a bra. It's like half a corset that kind of squishes, mm. makes them look pretty good. Um, <coughs> not that we wear stays. We haven't got that far. Um, yeah, I, do, oh, well, I just love it. I just love it. No, I agree. I, I, I really, honestly... Yesterday I spoke about the 2005 version for an hour and that was my favourite one and now I'm talking about the 1995 <laughs> version and this is my favourite one. I've... I have to say, having done Ostentatious for 13 years and been pregnant twice, yeah. it meant I could carry on doing the show and not be in pain. 
Oh, like that was amazing, amazing to be like basically and I used to order because I couldn't fit into my costume anymore I had to order like an ASOS maternity bridesmaid dress <laughs> and basically that is Georgian like <gasps> bridesmaid dresses are Georgian you have an empire line yeah. crossover at the top pinks greens purples like you just head to a bridesmaid section and you've oh my god yeah totally and you add some I see so many people wearing especially those kind of vampire wife-esque floral yes They've lo- lengthened the sleeve, which is more seventeen ninety. Mm. If you made it shorter and you put a ribbon, it's a Austin dress. Yeah, <clears throat> like we will send each other links to like clothing websites. Sometimes we'll be like, "Look at this. We had a bit of lace, bit of ribbon. What do you think? Bit of dark pink, green ribbon. Yeah, and it's like a dress that someone else would be wearing to the pub in the summer. Like I'm just a summer, I'm a summer London gal, and you're like, you look like you're in Jane Austen. It's very easy, which is great for us. It's, it makes costume. Yeah, very accessible. easy. Yeah, imagine right. if you were doing this Victorian thing. Nightmare. Be, if we yeah. dozed to do Dickens, and also you can just like nightmare. bundle it up in your suitcase and off yeah. you go off to Edinburgh. And the boys have it worse. This is the yes. one time in bit like so when we do summer gigs, the boys are like in tights, three quarter length trousers, um, you know, huge shirt, waistcoat, cravat, and they are sweating. They're uncomfortable. They're moaning. The girls are like, yeah. we are comfy. When else in history are women going, I'm fine, don't worry about it. I'm fine. Like, I'm not squeezed into anything. So, my th- belly can stick out and I feel like if I've eaten loads, it's fine. Is this true? Okay, I read this, but it was a tweet, so I don't know if it's true. <laughs> that um, because of the Napoleonic Wars, that was why that they weren't wearing as much corsetry, corsetry or underwear because so much lace and was being imported from France. Oh, yeah, that's definitely, that was a factor as far yeah. as I know, that there was, it was um, patriotic. But then they were making lace here as well so yeah uh, yeah of course more, nothing in lace yeah it's yeah. fashion really it was it was a fashion to move away from the corseted style and it came from our Antoinette right she was the one who was like I'm not going to be corseted in the same way ah. so it became it's just in the way that that's and that's why the Victorians then go corsets because they're trying to be different to the Georgians so yes. they're like we want a waist because the Georgians had no waist for like 70 years it's like which how nice not to have a waist just to it is be free. so insane that we've just been like we've been dealing with the fact of clothes and bodies for so many years and it just it's always the same fucking shit it's like yeah. we were all about tits and now we're all about asses yeah. your ass must be as large as possible now your ass must be as small as possible but I just find it amazing that it's a time period where women were comfortable yeah. having worn I've had to do I did a show called Witchfinder and that was obviously Witch Trials which is like yeah pre- oh pre- yes Austin. with um Tim Key yeah 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 I watched Mae that Cooper. watched it on a plane really fun oh great yeah. I had to wear a fucking authentic outfit and it was the most uncomfortable thing I've I almost had a panic attack like the two corsets the actual bodice at the top like contained your shoulders as if mm. someone was holding your shoulders like this you can't move at all and I was like god bless the fucking Georgians like they you know you're in cotton you yeah. can run I couldn't have, I literally could barely I could sit or I could stand in this outfit and that was it <laughs> and I felt like a piece of property I was like no yeah. wonder women had nothing like I can't yeah. breathe I feel sick and I can't move the clothes are representing my political rights yeah and and also <laughs> totally and like the I think in Austin as well the um the clothes do lend itself because I always feel like and I've I've read I've read so much less Austin than you have um, but every time I do pick up an Austin book I always feel like oh this is somebody who like knows knows they're in the past in a sense and knows that things will change but not quickly enough and not within their lifetime and they're so angry yes yeah. just, she's so angry and oh. like you particularly every passage 
that's like following um, Charlotte Lucas's decision to marry Mr. Mm. Collins and there's this like rage that comes over Lizzie <clears throat> and she knows that she'll never see her friend in quite the same way again yeah. it's so heartbreaking and you can tell that's Jane Austen like watching all these people these amazing women around her having these inferior marriages and being like we shouldn't have to do this and like it's so and so almost the close in that it's like there's enough freedom of movement to want more but not enough to have more yeah you know I think Charlotte Lucas is again brilliant performance brilliant very yeah. underrated performance in 1995 <clears throat> and she's such a good character because it's like she that moment when Mr. Collins opens the cupboard and he's just <sighs> showing the, is, is hens me is so funny David Bamba again another little yeah. Austin fact for people Mr. Collins is supposed to be like 25 like he's yeah. not supposed to be really really old <clears throat> so the 1995 version is a bit naughty because it makes people think oh he's this kind of middle aged old boring mm. man but the joke is he's supposed to be a really boring young person mm. who's like 25 and going on about oh, yeah, great yeah. cupboards which I think the 2005 one do very well actually yeah. I love it's Tom Hollander, Hollander yeah. who does I think of uh, in, like those performances yeah, to me are, are equal are absolutely equal they really are I yeah, agree because yeah. Bamba's doing something compl- like a much older more boring version yeah. but yeah Charlotte Lucas being a character who you know you have your heroine character she makes a very strong decision not to marry Mr Collins and then you let another character yeah. make that choice so you can follow that road and go oh that's what Lizzie would be doing yeah. and you can sit with Lizzie at those boring de Berg like yeah. after tea moments and be like thank God Lizzie's thank safe Lizzie's God. safe but Charlotte isn't safe. But that was enough for Charlotte. Oh, I see. Yeah. People are different and people want different things. And yeah. not and like Charlotte says to her, not everybody can be like you, Lizzie. Like this this headstrong, you know, I'm not going to marry because I need the money. Which actually yeah. is like, she should have married Mr. Collins. No wonder her mother is apoplectic. Like yeah. would have kept the house in the family. They would have been safe. Yeah. Like everything would have been solved. Collins wanted to marry her. Like boom, done. Like that would have been- married Mary. They would have gone oh. so well, they do in the 1995 version. They they do a really large hint at that, which I don't do, think is yeah. in the book particularly as much as much. I know that Mary does love Mr. Collins in the book. It's kind of like her longingly looking at him. Really. Yeah, they yeah. really and they nail that just so much of like yeah. that he had the wrong sister. Like if oh. only he'd married. But also he didn't. He didn't want someone like him. Like he wanted. Yeah, he someone wants to like smile. a strong, practical person. Yeah, he's going to smile and nod and keep like you know, Lady Burke happy. Mary would be like criticizing her yeah. views on the Bible. That so. whole thing with Colin's marriage, where it's like she's just like always being like, "Go outside." <laughs> like, but it's so. Do funny. you need a walk? That you whole need a thing. Walk. There's, I mean, as we say that this, the, the Pride and Prejudice will always be relevant, and there will always be like. Um, straight lines you can draw between contemporary life and then like um, um, yes we don't go to balls where our entire like futures are dependent <laughs> on how we dance and our parents are watching us but it would be so stupid to like assume that we are living in a dating world that is outside of like strict weird conventions yeah, where like yeah. you you know we have to you know <laughs> people who are dating in their 30s particularly are living within an Austin world of yeah. courtship and rules yeah. of like oh you know we must uh, say that we are willing for children but not necessarily <laughs> rushing for children and, you know, indeed one would send one emoji but two would be far too much to give him a hint of something more improper no, <laughs> one will be fine Jane and yeah it's madness yeah. When, different rules when to send a picture of one's tit <laughs> considered too forward and, uh, Lydia has but, sent a picture of her not only her boobs but her bum as well father 
I saw her. Oh, Kitty. Oh, Kitty. Um, but also this thing of it, uh, you know, we're living within this sort of like housing crisis where it's so hard for anyone yeah, to, to leave buy. your parents' house. And so the amount of times I have been in a Mr. Collins situation where <laughs> someone has been showing me that cupboard, I'm like, yeah, it's your cupboard. Like, fair enough. You've got the like 500 grand together yeah. or whatever to get a deposit you down. You can see the shelves are so well situated. <laughs> That has to be a meme. Like, why yeah. isn't that a meme in our society of just like thirty-six-year-olds showing you around their basement flat, being like, "Look." <laughs> I'm always sad that the things that I love are not memes because I'm too old. So like yeah. you can get plenty of 2005 memes, but you try and find 1995 memes yeah. that they're, they're low on the ground and there should be way more Mr. Collins action. Totally. I mean, the eternal meme is the is the uh, lake meme. Him yeah. In the lake. And That's he, it. To the point where it was even featured in the fucking Barbie movie. Oh God, yes. Which must have been an odd moment for you. Oh my God. I can think that was, yeah. that was incredible because yeah. it made me I go oh Greta Gerwig feels the same about 1995 as I do like that's like yeah. oh she gets it that was incredible because it, it cuts like the press Barbie doesn't yes, it who's yeah. just watching that and I messaged the we call each other the Bonds because we're assholes. I messaged the Lady Bonds and I was like what does that mean so oh. like it comes from bonnets, so we call oh. each other bonds, just because it was like easier than like, hey guys, can everybody fill in their like details yeah. for rehearsal? So it was like, hey bonds, that's um, sweet, sickening, hate us, sickening, <laughs> gross, absolutely no, gross. This is something that we came up like, yesterday when we were doing the video. We, we were being we were being a bit piss takey about Austin fans. I just want to put my hands up there. No. I get it, and it's fine. And about how <clears throat> the woman that you meet at a party who's got a cat called Mister Darcy, and you're like, oh, oh no, <laughs> I'm not that person. <laughs> Okay. I, just, I really hope the Mr. Darcy American Catwoman don't write in. They will, because they like to write. They really like to write. <laughs> they are, you want to read, read the Austin fan fiction? Like, that is... Wow. wow. There is some in-depth I sexy assume, stuff. I assume you've done the house tour in Bath. We've done the house tour, yeah. We performed Where there's an oil Bath. painting of Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy oh, I don't at think reception. I've seen that. Oh, maybe we have seen. I must have. I've been to. I've been to the Jane Austen Festival plenty of yeah. times. The Jane Austen Festival, where I got someone threw shade at my costume, an audience member. <gasps> it was like Bing. It was like Caroline Bingley moment. Like, oh my god, they come in costume, yeah. and their costumes better, obviously. And also, it's not costume. Like, we have to like move in ours and play different characters. So you know, like, it can't be. You can't look like Caroline Bingley. And a lady yeah. came in and I said, oh, gosh, your dress is so beautiful. And she went, oh, thank you very much. And I went, mine's just from a charity shop. And she looked me up and down and went, yes. <laughs> but she was being in character because like, this is her time. I don't know. No, I think she's being rude. She's just being, she's being rude. And to be fair, it was a very lovely 1970s Laurie Ashley dress that I had managed to change with some ribbons. Oh, well, then fuck her. Yeah. Um, Carrie Ed Lloyd, thank you for this incredible fall down the rabbit hole of Austin I you're, honestly your joy in this has been so infectious and I've 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 laughed and I've learned thank you so much for letting me geek out about is there anything we days. haven't first of all is there anything we haven't spoken about that when you leave here you'll be like fuck I can't believe I didn't talk about that and second of all what are you working on <laughs> whichever appeals to you more as a question I don't think so. I hadn't completed the full list of people we that we'd collected. I will say Susanna Harker came to mm-hmm. our press night for Ostentatious, oh. which we couldn't believe. I love that so many of these people are still like in the world oh, of Austin. Yeah, they're still... Adrian Lucas, Mr. Wickham, has a, a one-man show about Austin's baddies that he does, which is amazing. Wow. Uh, and he's still touring that. And um, yeah, we've nearly got them all, but we can't We can't get Ely. We've had Mary. Lucy Bryars has seen the show, I think, or tweeted us. Mm. She's amazing. Um and oh yeah, Julius Wahala. We haven't got we haven't got Lydia or Kitty. 
we're getting there we're getting there um, <laughs> I am working on another podcast called yes. Sarah and Cariad's Weirdos Book Club which I do with Sarah Pascoe where we um, talk about books that have weirdos in there's quite a lot of them there's a lot of them there's a lot of them and I am performing in Ostentatious the improvised Jane Austen novel every Monday at the Arts Theatre you can find us at Austin Impro or at Austin West End on Twitter and Instagram every Monday every Monday I'm gonna come this is, I, th- I come. thought it was like a much rarer thing than that's amazing no, every Monday you come you shout up a made up title uh, Empire Line Strikes Back Mansplain Park Strictly Come Darcy Darcy da- Dirty Darcy Dancing whatever you want to shout out and then we will perform it completely made up and if you miss the world of Pride and Prejudice it's a way to spend some time oh. there I'm so glad that you got to live your childhood dream of just <laughs> like stepping into that world for yeah. cash for cash <laughs> for cash and laughs Jane would have been very proud she would have 